another episode of the Epic Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce. It's episode 152, and I promise it really is. And I'm joined on the line once again by Sneaky Pete to chat about all things Max the Gathering. How are you today, Pete? This is our spooky episode, and you, you say it by its numerical code? Come on. Um, <laughs> look, this is the episode that's out of sequence because um, we're not smart. So, audience, just so you're aware... We recorded episode 152 like two weeks ago. And then we like, mm, we don't like this. So we didn't actually release it. We're trying again now. So, hey, and now like. We're the undead tonight. <laughs> it's cool. I, just, I, I think like the theme of like pairing a graveyard themed like deck on the night before Halloween sounds cool to me. So I think we're going to be like, do spooky things with our graveyards and bring back <laughs> stuff to torment our opponents but uh that is why episode 152 comes after 153 because it wasn't supposed to but it did and that's okay that's all you guys as audience members need to know all right so it's another great episode and we're gone so <laughs> what do you got for us today we've got the garbage are great we're Going back in time a little bit here again. So, see, the nice part is we can go back and like pick different cards because some of the cards sometimes I pick are not very good. And so, tonight I think I picked much more interesting cards. Oh, so, all right. So, tonight's first one, I want to start with this one here. I like this card, Aether Rift. So, Aether (laughs) Rift is one red green for an enchantment, Pete. And this one's from Invasion. It's old and it's cool and it's 50 cents. And it says this at the beginning of your upkeep. Discard a card at random. If you discard a creature card this way, return it from your graveyard to the battlefield, unless any player pays five life. This feels like it's got a very like weird sort of trajectory. Is like, is it good? Is it garbage? Is it is it like not even worse than garbage? Is just stone unplayable heap of trash? Like I don't know. What do you think, Pete? So there's three ways that this card would be like playable but you'd have to play white um and most most people look at this card they're like you know this was back in magic where you had 20 life and you were just trying to cheat out a bad creature to beat your opponent with so the leverage wasn't as serious if you're playing eldrazi you're shuffling stuff back in anyway who cares (laughs) if if you're playing very big creatures and everything has an average you know power of five and it'll hit you in the face like yesterday's taco bell um you know you you you, your opponents are going to pay the life i think if you if you're sneaky about it and you discard non-threatening creatures like mana dorks and stuff for for nothing um that might be or you play politics and you politic with the table but again i i wouldn't play this unless i was being oppressive so um so i I can tell you where i saw it and i thought it was kind of funny so a uh, buddy of mine was playing with me Saturday night, and he's got a Rurik Thar deck that is like jank-tastic. And if any of you are familiar with Rurik Thar, it is the it is just a deck that's looking to punish anybody for playing non-creatures. His deck is everything in it is a permanent, and so it's sw- just swole with creatures and all that stuff. And he would like nothing better than you for you to pay an additional five life. To stop his stupid creature from coming into play, because Rurikthar is like already smashed your opponent for a bunch of damage through 
and then he's got a perforos and he's got a like he's got a warstorm surge and he's got all sorts of like just silly dumb ways to make you just eat taking damage for like no reason and i have to say the card plays really well like flavorfully in the deck in terms of like just how jagtastic the thing is um but i'm like you i'm like i'm not sure generally speaking you'd want to get into this but like in that deck it is chef's kiss fantastic so shout out to dave i know you're not listening but dave that card is like pre on flavor for the deck (laughs) it is hilarious and like i have to say in that deck it is great in anything else i think this is hot garbage hot garbage don't do it folks don't like sure if you want to go in to get something where your opponents can't pay life and you can potentially sneak something on the battlefield but like if you're playing Naya, you have a hard time drawing cards anyway. So why are you looking to discard your cards? Seems not smart. Um, I mean, maybe in Jund, it might be cool too to sneak in something biggie and like, I don't know. I feel like this is just a way for your opponents to have one more way to say, mm, deny you your resource. Your life, like they'll pay their life. They don't care. You don't get your cool card. And I feel like most, more often than not, this sort of Punisher effect is pretty rotten. So don't do it. It's a bad effect, but it's funny when Dave does it, and Dave should keep doing it. That's fair. Um, actually, the next card we're going to talk about fits into this cheating things out, and it's a lot better than Aether Rift, I'll tell you right now. All right, um, all right. So, it's called Call... Hold on. i got to pull up the actual Call card Call of the Wild is the link you put here. Good yeah. heavens. Call of the Wild. So it's 30 cents. Uh, Eighth edition was the original printing. Then they had one in sixth edition. And now Weatherlight, which personally, Weatherlight's one of my favorite sets. But um, wasn't Weatherlight first? Weatherlight's first. And then Eighth edition came afterwards. mm -hmm. Yeah. Eighth edition is whiteboarded, which is hilarious. But anyway, so. Oh, stinky to you. So it's. And and, (laughs) and also, man, just say, much inferior art. I know. Anyway, so Call of the Wild. Let's see this. What do you tell me about it? So so two colorless, two green. It's an enchantment, and you pay the same amount of mana um, as what you paid for. Reveal the top card. If it's a creature, put it onto the battlefield. Otherwise, put it into your graveyard. (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) So, um, I like the only way I want to run this is if I. And playing like a lot of top deck manipulation because I want to play this with an eye towards obviously cheating something humongous into play. Um, so like I'm looking for a scroll rack or a sensei's divining top or some things like that to manipulate the top of my deck. Maybe brainstorm like you're playing blue green, mm-hmm. blue green fatties is a thing, like that's a yeah. legitimate strategy. Strong. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always it's always good because simic value piles are always strong and hard to deal with. And this could just allow you to like I'm thinking like if you could like, sneak a coma on the battlefield for four mana, seems like a win. Um there's lots of other really big green things like in- Inkwell Leviathan or like any of the big sea krakens that are floating around and, and like, you could do a lot of green things. Like force just heck, I would love to just put a force of nature on the battlefield. Nothing like an eight eight trampler, baby. So um that's that's a throwback to my old my days as a child where I was looking to cast a force of nature. Um so I mean I'm pretty I, I think this card is actually pretty good. Um not every deck's gonna utilize it. Now, my hitch with this one, and I think it's gonna keep coming back, 
is that we've seen mana curves get lower and lower and lower as the ramps got right. better, better, better. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of creatures that are like have been power crept, and they don't. They're going to cost you less than four mana, and so you're you could potentially be spending four mana on a creature and taking a loss on the amount of mana you spent because you just drew it next turn and away you go. Now, I suppose that is a, that is a real issue. That's a concern. I mean, this goes crazy if you could make poop tons of mana. It goes crazy if you can if you can manipulate the top deck of your library, top of your library. There's lots of upside to this card, and so I would say, in you know many decks, this is probably a win, uh, particularly if your deck is looking to win through creature damage. Uh, and uh, I think the, the the drawback of losing something valuable and having it go to your graveyard is less impactful than we might think, particularly, again, if you're in green, you can probably buy it back. That Ewit or that Timeless Witness or that whatever you've got is going to come back and get you the, the, the toy back again. So um, I'm pretty sure on the upside, this is um, this is pretty, pretty strong all the way around. Pete, yeah. tell me I'm wrong. I mean, I think it's very playable. Um, I think it fits in a lot more strategies now because there's a lot more recursion in in all of the colors. And again, the strongest decks would be the ones that are like scrying, like the scry elves deck, the Golgari decks that don't really care what they put in their yard. Um, cheating out Razaket just seems kind of nasty. And also, uh, you can do it at instant speed, I believe. Do you ever go, I wonder what people are doing? So if you look at the EDH rec profile for this particular mm -hmm. card, and the, here are the top five commanders. Kua Tuo, Honored Physician, which is some card from like about a million years ago. Mm -hmm. Hans Ericsson, which is from Commander Legends. Yep, I know what that is. Vivictus Maddie the Dyer, which is the M19 Jundragon. Yeah, Jun make people draw cards, blah, blah, yeah. Yeah. Rada, Heart of Keld, and then Mayel the Anima. And I'm like, really? This is what like, I, I, I would have put this one? in like some. Mayel the best the one, Anima. the best one that's not there. Is that Enchantress <laughs> Commander that lets you make a copy of stuff in your graveyard? You know, yeah, the one like, from the precon? Like, there's so many other ones, of course, but like, that's the one that jumped in my head immediately. It's an enchantment. There's so, turn there's it into so a creature. Many, there's so many things that are like that are like, I think would would play really well with this. I feel like people are missing out. There are literally 1,025 decks that run this card. Well, that's not enough. <laughs> that's that not enough to like call to the wild. I, I thought <laughs> this card would have like 10,000 copies. Right. What is the go what is going on here? What the nugget? Okay, internet, go get yourself call the wild and do gross things. You have it from us here at the podcast. All right. All right, so, next one. Yeah. All right, <laughs> next we have Ghoulish Impetus. I think this card's funny. All right, this one is from Commander Masters. It's two and a black. It's an enchantment aura, which usually makes us go, wait a second. But how about this, Pete? Can I interest you in enchanted creature gets plus one plus one, has death touch, and is goaded. And then when enchanted creature dies, return Ghoulish Impetus to the battlefield at the beginning of the next end step. You know how annoying this is? Like, this card is awesome. <laughs> so, like, you cast it, you put it on one of their best creatures, right? Someone blocks profitably because they have to to not die or something. The creatures trade, they die. 
you're like, okay, I'll just pass it around the table now. Good luck. Figure it out. Yeah. I think that's the best part. The fact that you can pass it on the table. And like, Because our rules, right? They ha- yeah, when they enter, yeah. you get to choose the target of where they target. So at the end step, you choose a different person's creature on a different board. And you've swung the game not once, but twice away from you. The pressure's off of you now. I think it's awesome. I think that, like, Goad is a mechanic that people often underestimate. I think if you've ever seen powerful Goad strategies in play, it is, it's, it really warps the game because it really makes it difficult to, to try and plan your attacks because you're being compelled to attack. You want to attack somebody that you may not want to attack. And, and, and beyond that, your opponents are like, I don't really want to block that thing, or it just gets everybody dead faster, which I think is ultimately one of the goals of, of Commander right now. Let's get everyone dead so we can play another game, because uh, that's the fun, and getting more games in. So I think this is a great card. Now, the only drawback here to this, and this is a, like it, because it, it seemed it was in one printing this summer, and it's, and I guess it must be in the Commander deck, is it's a ten dollar card or nine twenty five whatever it's like so if you're a budget budgetary conscious player nine twenty five for a aura for your deck that you may not want to run depending on the theme of your deck like like I feel like that's a pretty big ask for people if this was a two dollar card like absolutely just go ham but with that I, like when you're getting close to ten bucks people go mm, do I want to spend ten bucks on this. Or do I want to spend ten bucks on that mana or that removal spell or that ramp piece or that other thing, right? I think it'll eventually go down. Um, that's my spec. Because it's so new, I don't think there's only one printing so far. Um it's yeah. no not many people really know about this card yet, because it's in one of those precons that had other more exciting cards in it. I will agree with you hundred percent. Um it is showing up in a lot of Ariette decks. Holy jumping. Yeah, that makes but sense. But it's showing in Anixia, Hand of Erebos, Karazakar, the Eye Tyrant. Oh, that'd be fun. They just go at everything. Mm-hmm. It's in Corona, the False God. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> anyway, yeah. That was a funny deck. Um, but yeah. That is a full. Every time you see a Corona deck audience, take notice of that one. So, yeah, I think the card's excellent. I think that's a great card. I have big. Good pick. I like that one. The, and our, last one. our last pick is it's more of a control card, but it is really interesting because it's it's political. Um, and people f- hear that word and they're like, oh no. So anyway, Psychic Possession. Uh, two colors and two blue. It's from Dissension. It's like a three buck card, so it is within our price point. It's another enchantment aura. Enchant opponent, so it's like a curse, but it's not. Uh, skip your draw step. Whenever enchanted opponent draws a card, you may draw a card. What do you think? So, so I mean, the obvious, the obvious problem you run into is that, like, if you can get seriously punished by this sort of card. So, my reservations stems from the skip your draw step, and. Like the fact that you're not drawing a card on your turn, you could be very heavily punished by stuff. I feel like it's unlikely because you're going to recoup the card when your opponent goes to draw. But I feel like you really could run into a situation where you get punished by this and 
miss out on some I'm uh, missing out on cards like just drawing cards for your own turn. Um I do see the appeal to it, right? So you you obviously the the best case scenario, you find an opponent who's got uh like a, a number of ways to draw additional cards, whether they are there's Ristic Study or they've got card draw effects in their deck or other things. You could leverage this to draw you quite a number of cards and really and really get you fueled up to do something explosive. Um, but I also feel like the potential exists that if you're playing an opponent who can find a way to um, basically make it so that they don't draw cards anymore, like I'm thinking like if you have a dredge deck, your opponent somehow has or has dredge cards in their deck. Then you get you can get punished pretty hard because they replace the draw effect with a dredge mechanic, and you're punished. Or if your opponent goes and resolves something that makes it that they can't draw cards, um, something like oh geez, what would be an example of that? I think Lich's Mastery might be one of them. Would this, would this be Lich's Mastery? Anyway, I just think there's a lot of ways. No, that's not quite right. Anyway, I feel there's a lot of different ways that you could get punished if you're if you have playing clever opponents. I think the most common play scenario for this is going to be you put it on somebody and they try to avoid casting draw spells for a couple of turns and just draw their card for turn. And then, you know, at some point, hopefully before you're dead, they can... Uh, they have to cast their draw spell, and you can coop, recoup the cards you lost. Um, so yeah, not I'm not in love with it, Pete. I'm gonna be honest with you. I think it's you know I would rather do other things, um, but uh, I can see the appeal and why it could be a very interesting effect. So here's the top eleven commanders for this card because surprisingly it's played in almost it's two thousand eight hundred decks, so a decent chunk. Surprisingly enough. Um, the top one is, there's Tagum Stadisi's Hand, um, which is like, you skip your draw stuff anyway with that card, but mm -hmm. there's the Watcher in the Water, which is a mono blue. I've never seen this before as a commander, but cool, I guess. Um, Eldegriff, which is like the, you know, the, the, you know, primary group hug deck. Uh, mm hmm Sir Dan the Shipwright, Group Hog again. Heliod the Radiant Dawn, Quain, Damia Sage of Stone, Xyrex the Rithering Storm, and Quasa Augur of Agonies, um, Kyros and Tira Miletus, and Orvar the Allform. So that's mm. all of them. Um, again, not, not exciting. It would be cool, again, to do the Dream Force Fruition situation, but like you, like, like you said, it's so conditional that nine times out of ten, if you're in a pod that doesn't play these cards, you might. And a lot of opponents are getting smarter now, Bruce, with their greed. I think of drawing cards because so many permanents draw cards now. People yeah. are really leveraging that now. And when it was like, it used to be just specific colors draw cards, but now it's like every yeah, now it's color has has something. On top of it, like I feel like there's like lots of ways for someone to like fade, like drawing extra cards and like imp like impulse draw, and like there's like there's a there's the follow decks coming out with like junk like junk artifacts, like literally called junk that are gonna be allow anybody to impulse draw. 
that's what that does. It's an, it's like it's exiles the card. So like your opponent's going to get access to the card, but you're not. And like it feels really. I feel like this this is a card that like is asking is asking you to get punished. And I so I I think this is probably not very good, um, unless your meta has like is like the greediest card drawing meta ever with like. We are playing consecrated sphinx, and we're playing rhystic studies, and we're playing, you know, all the all the goodies to draw a bajillion cards. If that's not what's happening, like you're probably like someone's some smart opponent is going to punish the living snot out of you, and you're going to say that wasn't worth playing in my deck. Now, if you could copy this and put it on everybody. Then it would be. Then it would be really yeah, good. Like that's probably why it's a horror. That's why it's a horror. So there are ways to do it to manipulate that situation, of course, yeah. uh, in blue especially. But yeah, I mean, it is interesting. It's one of those cards we'll look back in probably in five to ten years yeah. and be like, "What were we doing?" But well, it'll um, be it'll be fi- yeah. it'll be fifty cents by that point, and uh, <laughs> and we'll be able to find it for cheap. Because they will have printed it in four secret layers and uh, and two ancillary products, so there'll be copies floating around in like with art with Garfield on it, I'm sure, or something like that. Sure. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on to segment two today, and this so we're going to continue our ongoing arc of discussing various archetypes that uh, and trying to present you with you uh, you the audience with some different ways to approach this archetype. So we've done tokens. And we've done uh, Voltron strategies. Today we're going to look at um, graveyard-themed decks. And with an eye towards helping you guys better understand uh, how graveyard decks can function. And that you don't necessarily lean into the same archetypal graveyard deck. So what we mean by the graveyard decks that are very obvious is like there's many decks out there that are aristocrats. Which is like sacking creatures, bringing creatures back, sacking creatures, bringing them back. You know, like zombies, very popular. Um, the other ones are Reanimator, which we really like on this channel. Um, but like Alesha is a very popular one, very obvious one mm, that people yeah. have played. I played it, it was one of my first decks. Me too. Um, you know, it's one of those easy to build decks, but we're looking at it in, in a more unconventional way in regards to how we use this particular zone so if if you take anything away from this episode today it's that we're looking at the zone as a different way to utilize our resources not just putting things in our yard reanimating them onto the battlefield and that's it um there's no caveat to it but yeah uh you know our our goals are the same though every deck that revolves around this zone um, has the same sort of idea, but I uh, we're gonna highlight both decks first, Bruce. Right before we dive into yeah, the meat and absolutely. potatoes. Here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So um, the example I have tonight for you guys is the Drawnu Lich Lord deck. So Drawnu is a three blue black uh, commander that has a flashback style mechanic on it, and so this sort of deck is looking to slow the table down by casting disruption um, into people's hands and um, and then uh, to remove them of key resources, and then removing the most pertinent threats uh, in the early game to to just to, to slow the game down and make it so that your opponents can't just really run over the table. Then in the late stages of the game, uh, you look to prey upon decks by stripping them of their last resources and 
playing powerful effects like the Scarab God, Turgrid, or Mnemonic Betrayal to uh, to power out um, game-ending plays to seal the deal. Um, so yeah, it's a very spell-heavy strategy, um, looking to um, get value from playing spells. Originally, the deck was conceived of to try and utilize bad hand disruption spells like Mind Rot or other cards because Mind Rot is notorious for being a bad card in Commander because I spend my card to make Pete discard two cards. I So I spend one to make Pete discard two. But with Drowny, I can spend one piece of cardboard to make my opponent discard four cards. That feels like a much better exchange in a game of Commander. And so the hand disruption deck was born. How do I maximize this? Well, Drown Me was the best commander for it at the time. I still I still like it as a choice. Um, so, you know, I'm looking to 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 strip away key resources and then leverage that so victory. What have you got for your deck, Pete? So this is in the most obvious reanimating colors. All right. Golgari is this is what they do. All right. This is what the purpose sure. of the deck is. But we're sacking, we're not doing creatures, and we're not leveraging creatures, we're leveraging old Rutstein. So to dive into it, um, he is uh, one colorless, a black, and a green, so very cheap to get out. And when he ETBs, or at the beginning of my upkeep, I mill a card. If a land was milled, create a treasure. If it's a creature was milled, create a 1-1 one, one insect. And if a non-creature, non-land card is milled, create a blood token. So... I'm playing all these creatures that trigger things either when they enter, um, sometimes when they die, but mostly when they enter, or when artifacts are entering. So really, I'm, I'm making artifacts in a deck that mills itself to make artifacts, to sack the artifacts, to chain a big spell like Torment of Hellfire, or to just ping you to death with like Nadir's Nightblade, or Marionette Master, M&M. Or, or like, uh, you know, or even there's a weird loop where I loop Living Death or the um, the new card, Lich's Knight's Conquest, with the artifacts I made it from made from Rutstein, to recur creatures that make more artifacts to sack the artifacts and get back the card eventually. So yeah. it is I'm making artifacts to sack, but I'm using my graveyard to enable. So it is an interesting sort of way to play the graveyard strategy without doing like the dredge combos um that this color combination is famous for an edh you know yeah or, or yeah, reanimating yeah. 75 creatures from your yard pulling them out and just playing crater hoof or something i don't know what people do nowadays but mm. you know i mean there's there is an appeal there is an appeal <laughs> there is an appeal there anyway um but yeah no so yeah so do very different takes on how to use our graveyards um, and so we're going to have a bit of a chance here to uh, break down how each of the decks function, what they're looking to do, um, by backing back and forth with some some questions to help sh uh, steer the conversation, so you guys as an audience can make sense of it, but also so we make sure that we're uh, providing with you guys the most uh, concise uh, explanation for what we're doing. So let's start there, Pete, with like sort of, yes. sort of the foundational underpinning. Hit me with a question. <laughs> well, what is that? Like, do you, what do you need? Do you need a critical mass of permanence in the yard on in play? Like, what do you need to like for this deck to really come to life and do the thing? So, 
it's weird, right? Because this, this deck has variants attached to the commander. So I never really know what I'm putting in my yard. Um, but basically, I need my commander out for at least a turn or two. I need mm -hmm. something that cares about the artifacts entering or leaving play. Um, and I need some way to ramp out to get the five. Because my big spells are five mana. Uh, God Eternal Bantu. You know, uh, the two recursion spells, Living Death and the Lich Knight's Conquest are at five. So I need like maybe one or two creatures, a few cards in the yard, and a few sackable permanents to sacrifice to do some looping. Um, a hula hooping and some looping. <laughs> so that's yeah. the setup. I ramp out right with some traditional green stuff, but sometimes Rutzin himself will give me the goods. Um, but yeah. that's that's the basics, really. The setup is Rutstein resolves on three, hopefully. Get a bit of value for two turns or three turns. And then start the shenanigans, depending on what's put in our yard and what we have in our hand. Right. That what about sense. you? <laughs> well, so this this deck is a little bit different um, because in, in the fact that it's going to be it's in blue and black, so it doesn't have the ramp potential. It, it leans very heavily into the artifacts to ramp, um, and I was very aware of that when I was in the process of building the deck that, that I needed to ramp because I need to find a way to. Um, to be able to have enough open mana to recast my spells as flash on the flashback side of of drowning um so some ramping through artifact means uh, and then i need to be able to cast some early interaction uh with my opponents to disrupt them i'm looking to cast a couple of hand disruption spells so mind rod effects to make my opponents discard a couple of cards and early in the game those don't feel like particularly impactful plays but all they're doing is they're setting me up to be able to reuse them at a later stage when you're going to be sitting there and you're like, I've got, you've got two cards in hand and you're like, oh boy, oh boy, I really want to get this powerful thing down and Drown New comes out of nowhere and snag, there goes your cards. And you're like, now, and I, I don't know about you, Pete, have you been in the situation where you've like, now you're in top deck mode, you've got no way to refill your grip. How demoralizing of an effect is that? It is difficult right uh in a game where you need cards in hand to do stuff yeah uh, so so anyway, that is that is the sort of the principal way this deck starts the games why well, I, I want again i want a couple of things in my graveyard ideally i want a couple of uh counter spells and a hand description piece and a piece of removal in my yard uh and then john comes down on doesn't need to come down right on five um it can come down a little bit later um but so I could protect it with a counter spell or something in hand, uh, because I do need to protect Drownu for this to start working. Um, so a couple of early pieces of, of removal, a couple a hand disruption spell, uh, a couple of counter spells, and I'm probably in pretty good shape with Drownu. Um, one of the things that happens is I'm unlikely to have drawn a lot of attention on myself with this sort of deck um, because of the fact that you're not you're not throwing out scary things. You're your ramp is modest. Your counter spells are look look boring, um, but those are the tools that you need in your yard, so that at the late stages of the game, you can go and really make sure that you are well positioned to leverage the powerful cards in your in your deck to full advantage. Yeah. Um, so the gist of the next part, right, is we have our setup, right. We know what we mm -hmm. want to do. What, like, what is what is our 
our our mass of of cards we need in the graveyard, right? And what um what like variants do do we need to avoid? Yeah, so what sort of adversity do we need to like do we need to fade or avoid um to in order to to make this strategy work? I think on my end, um I really need my opponents to not dis- disrupt my graveyard. That's probably one of the biggest pieces and if they do, it's I can I've recovered from it before. Um but I need to make sure at that point that I start firing off draw spells to draw more cards to to refuel the, the stuff. Um, I've so I I mean I have been wrecked by a Tormont's Crypt before. Where Tormont's Crypt literally came down, and my opponent said, "Bruce, your graveyard toast." And I was like, "Oh, that feels so bad." Um, and since Drowneu was was already tapped, I had no way to untap him. I was kicking myself a little bit because I remember very clearly I had tapped him to flash back another counter spell and left myself vulnerable. And I probably could have waited. I didn't. Didn't need to get that counterspell to counterspell that that the, whatever the effect was. I don't remember what it was, but I probably could have waited, um, and I should have known I needed to really be proactive about fighting off the graveyard hate. Um, the one that really does me in is Bajuka Bog because I don't really yeah. have an answer to how to stem stifle that, other than a stifle trigger, a stifle card. But this feels like that feels like a very narrow card to be putting in a deck, but might be worth the while. Um, so yeah, like the decks, the, the decks that have graveyard hate and decide to point it at me cause me a lot of a lot of consternation. Um, if not, I can usually get myself online pretty promptly, um, and 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 make myself not a huge threat. I usually like to play from behind with this deck, where I'm like, I'm not the you know the 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 public enemy number one. I'm probably in the coalition of other players of the pod who are looking to just. Just uh, to knock de- knock the top player off the pedestal, the top, um, and then in the in the best case scenario, to leverage that sort of unobtrusive nature to to great effect. So, um, but so I don't want I don't want my graveyard exiled. That is like the number one thing. Creatures and otherwise, mm, I don't really care. Like I don't, if my creatures die, that to me is less impactful. But I, I need the spells in my graveyard. To be alive, so I can, or be 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 live, so that I can utilize those with Drowning. How about you, Pete? What yeah. are you, what are what are some things that you've got to watch out for with so, this? <laughs> so there's a few avenues, right? Uh, this is like a sneaky Pete special because the deck usually just sits there. People are like, oh, this is cute. Like, okay, you're making a one-one. You're making a clue. You're making a food. And then, oh, he just played KCI. Oh, he just sacked all his tokens for 18 colorless mana and played Torment of Hailfire. Good game. Um, so, there are... Sometimes the deck... Sometimes there are problems, right? Like, someone killed Old Resting. I was like, I'm going to put it in the graveyard. And then he sits there the whole game and I have no way to get him back. Like, I just... I, I have no way to get him back. There have been games where he just sits there and I'm like, well, I have to figure something else out now. There are other times where my deck starts really fast, and then I have nothing in my hand. Like, it's like turn four, I have Academy Manufacturer and Old Rustine out. I'm making all these tokens, but I literally have nothing to do with them. You know what I mean? Like, I have nothing, no gas. Because the variance of the deck itself, right? Rustine is, is, is a variable of himself. So, I don't care if things go to my graveyard. I don't care if I sacrifice lands. There are times where I only have two lands out. Like a lotus field and a, and a forest yeah. or something. Right? There are times where I only have... 
like three lands. I can't. I'm sacking lands. I don't have any way to play them yet from the yard, but I'm okay. I have enough mana to do everything I need to do in my hand. So the cards that I've added and subtracted over the years have tried to provide more controlled variance in the deck because mm. Rutstein himself is a variable that I can't control. I can't control, right, yeah. and I'm not going to yeah. play a scroll rack effect and do it on my upkeep or on, on some right. event step because in this matter, I don't need that card really. Uh, I'd rather be more resilient than sacrifice for uh, this sort of consistency because I have consistency in, in the mill. So... Um, yeah, oh, you know, for sure. So there's there's that piece, and then getting stuff exiled. I mean, it hurts a lot. Someone might exile the Crucible of Worlds or something, mm. or or you know they'll they'll just stifle Bantu and exile my graveyard, so I can't draw cards anymore. You oh, know, that's so, a bad so, feeling. Yeah, or or like something is milled, and in response to the mill trigger, someone plays something that just houses. Houses the cards that were put there this turn from anywhere or whatever. Right. Um, it's pretty rare, but a lot of my pods now recognize the danger of this deck, so that I don't get away with stuff anymore. Um, so that that's yeah. the main thing I think is like I have to leverage the scary doubling season versus trying to draw a card and lose a life or something. You're even playing a um, deadly dispute can be hard sometimes when people recognize why I'm playing the card. Because the deck is pretty obvious once you see it a hundred times, like Bruce has. <laughs> I'll be honest with you; I haven't seen it that many times, but yes, I've seen the I've seen it do the thing, and Pete's uh, the 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 trading the artifacts for stuff is real, and it is a problem. Um, so let's come to the idea of like so, Pete. Many players when they play this sort of strategy. They watch as important cards get put in their dumpster by either Rutstein or some other effect because your deck is looking to inherently to put things there. Mm. They get itchy. They get tri- they get itchy trigger fingers. How right. do you what your what sort of advice do you have to somebody who's playing a graveyard strategy deck and they're starting to like they're starting to sweat now that well like the that that, that really important piece just went to the bin how how are they going to play how am i going to win now mm-hmm. if they just they, sure. how what is your advice to them like my my advice is uh put magic away for a week or two and learn six card stud texas hold'em <laughs> is that a thing or just five is it, is it five card five? there's six card anyway but it's whatever not important the importance is that i'm old and i'm losing my brain cells but also um, the fact is, like, you want to be really incredibly patient and not try to tell your opponent, like, through your actions that you're panicking. Because a lot of people yeah. will will rush to try to resolve that, that recursion spell to get something back they think they need when they probably could have waited a little bit longer um, yeah. to not, not sort of, like... It's like bluffing in, in, in any sort of situation where you don't have the answer, but you're trying to see if your opponents are going to react to you. Um, kind of like holding up two yeah. blue mana. You know what I mean? You're holding up some permanence in your hand, and you're like, hmm, do I play this card? Do I play Noxious Revival now? Get the card back on top. Do I play that two mana, three mana, return this card to my hand from the graveyard? Uh, sometimes I've actually pitched Eternal Witness to my yard shocker with a blood token, just because I was like, I probably need to draw a card right now. 
instead of trying to recur something else by playing three, I can just pay one um, to get a card into my hand. So I think it comes with experience. Overall, just play your deck a lot. See the variance in it, and especially with graveyard decks, it's gonna be it's gonna take ten times for you to be like, huh? In this situation, what would I do? In this situation, what would I do? Because um, every game is different, every pot is different, and your deck, if it is a mill deck, will be very hard to sort of gauge. Um, so that's the long and the short of it, I guess. Well, that's good. It's good explanation. I think I think you're absolutely right. I think. Um, knowing the sort of deck that you've got, you want to advise, you know, a player they need to hold hold tight. Like trust that the the milling strategy is going to expose enough powerful tools that when you that you're but you're not going to get a big window here, folks. All right, like you're not going to mm-hmm. like, but when you do, you're going to blow the window right off. It's right off the right off the the, the window pane and just go ham. And you, but you need to be patient and like make sure that you have enough fuel there to do it. If you do, if you jump the gun preemptively, you're going to be in a pickle. Um, the drown new deck plays a little bit differently in that respect because it still is urging you to be patient. And I think both the great both decks are like like the key word today is coming out is this, you need to be patient with it. Um, but it's looking to um, move undetected by the other opponents by not making itself an obvious threat. And then when you get to a stage of the game where let's say maybe one player has been knocked out, the other two players are looking at each other and like, they're like, Oh, we're like, we're going to take out Bruce right here. And then be heads up. And you know, then, then you go into action and you act proactively to make sure that you are still in the game and that one of them is crippled. And then it's like, okay, it's a matter of you now. Like the, the other, the, somebody's got to decide here and blink. What are we going to do here? Are we like going to team up on Bruce? Are we going to knock somebody out? Are we like so? You present the choice to them. Well, oftentimes at that stage of the game, you know they don't want to try and mess around with you and find out what you can, what else is in your hand because you probably sat there, draw a few cards, you mm-hmm. countered a few things, they look at your graveyard, they're like, oh, I don't want to mess with you. They often take out. They often take out the third player, right? And so now you're heads up with somebody, and I'll take my chances any day. Heads up with somebody with yeah. a deck with full of counter spells and removal. <laughs> I will. Like I'm pretty sure I'm going to win that one. Can I? Can I so, jump in real quick too? Yeah, by so all means. Yeah. The longer the game goes, the more you know people are going to make mistakes, and these decks yeah. are designed to just sit there, right? They're designed to sit there and just ah yeah you you play that seven mana threat mm-hmm. yeah no problem. Right, so the so, so mana threats very often die to one mana removal spells. True, tragic slip. So, um, we're what we're trying to say is, it's okay to be. This is a deck. We're not going to be trying to win by turn seven or eight normally, like with token decks or Voltron decks, where you're like five or six turns. You just try to win as fast as you can win. These decks are like we're going to serve you a four course meal before we kill you. You know, yeah. and stuff, stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> and it might be death by a million cuts because, yeah, like, like sometimes, like this, this drown new deck. If it wins, it's often you know heads up. I lock my opponent out. Like, I'll give you an example. I was playing an Ur Dragon deck. The mm-hmm. guy had one one big dragon on the battlefield. He thought he was in pretty good shape. Well, I had an enchantment that allowed me to tap down his thing. I had counter spells in my graveyard. So he tried to stick a dragon. 
no, countered, strip his hand of anything left over, tap the dragon, and now he's left, and I'm beating him to death with three threes and two twos. Mm-hmm. And be- but before long, three or three, six, eight, ten damage ends the game. Mm-hmm. And so you know, my opponent was very frustrated because he couldn't he couldn't cast anything through the four great four counter spells in my graveyard, plus the two pieces of removal that were sitting there. And he's just like, well, I'm I guess I'm done. I lose. So um, you know, you need to be patient. Wait, you're, you're going to take some lumps. You're going to get your sure. life total kicked kicked around a bit. You're like, okay. Um, but you know, if you can if you can hold on, still be there without having your graveyard stripped away with all your tools, you're going to be in a good spot to to make some noise at the end of the game, which sometimes is what is what you need. And yep. again, I don't need I don't need a big opening. I need an I but I need an opening there where, you know, they my opponents are at a crux, a crux and they make a mistake. And that's this is the deck that preys on mistakes and preys on oppor- on opportunity. It's a very opportunistic sort of deck. Um some people don't like that sort of deck. They're like, "Well, you didn't do anything." I'm like, "You're right. I didn't do anything. I but I did enough to win." Right, um, right. so like there are times right. where where I've I've uh, I've had to be in the situation where I have to leverage like, okay, what can I do on my turn, and what what can I do on the other opponent's turns to sort of either put pressure away from me, like misdirect, like play politically, or um, you know, if I'm looting with uh, with blood tokens, for example, or mm-hmm. playing cl- or sacking clues on other people's turns and and holding up like I have removal in my hand when I don't. Um, like just bluffing, I think I think bluffing is is a huge part of this sort of strategy too. Is like I'm not yeah. pulling the trigger now; I might pull it in two turns instead. So yeah, yeah. bluffing is key. I mean, you need to be able to bluff. The nice thing with draw news is sometimes you don't need to bluff because they can look at your graveyard, they can see the counter spell. They're like, "I'm like, do you want to play a game of chicken right here? Like, I right. got, I got, I can do it, or I can let you do the thing, but point it somewhere else for for a turn or two." And then we'll be good. And they go, oh yeah, okay, I can do that. And then that's what they—that's what they'll—they'll they'll be apt to do, even if the other two guys at the table, are like, no, 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 pointed at Bruce, pointed at Bruce, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, sometimes I, a counter spell that I never have to cast is the best counter spell. Yeah. So, um, now, Pete, at the end of the day, how does Rutstein close out the game? What does it do to to nail that thing tight? Oh. There's a few right. There's a few ways, right? There's looping, um, living death slash uh, the Lich Knight's conquest card, mm-hmm. um, and having enough things that ETB like Gilded Goose make a food, Peregrine Took make a food, whatever make a food, make a clue, whatever, sack them, loop them. I have some pingers in there, so it's like if I have the seven cards I need, <laughs> I can loop. The damage from the artifacts getting killed off um, to kill someone that way, and then there's torment of hellfire. Um, I've been leaning away from comboing out uh, a lot more. I've been trying to grind out the game in different ways now because it gets very boring sometimes for people to see. Okay, when all of these six cards come in, they ETB in, something happens, and I have to explain the the loop, and it takes an extra ten minutes, and then it's just blah blah. But um, we're like normally it's just pinging slowly like with some artifacts hitting the yard 
or uh, just whipping out a big old X spell um, in that sense. So a little bit of an aristocrat sort of pinging, but not in the traditional sense of sacking creatures right, and killing right. someone with like Zulaport Cutthroat, for example. So that's the close, I guess, because Rutstein's not going to kill anybody with commander damage. He's he's just he's no, too small. No. Yeah. But, you know. yeah, no, that sounds sounds like a plan. Um, the draw new deck uh, wins literally, folks, is a game of attrition. I'm looking to you know when I can get you with multiple mind rot car- effects and like essentially go four for one for you. Um, was very quickly my parents opponents run out of gas, run out of materials with which to fight me, and then you know in an ideal world I can leverage that disparity of resources to to great advantage. Um, and the best, some of the best tools for that are Turgrid. Turgrid's like, I know Turgrid has a bit of a bad reputation, but if you can, like, if Turgrid's not your commander, I feel it's a lot more justified to put Turgrid in your deck. Like, when Turgrid is the lead singer, okay, that's just mean. But when you put her in your 99 and you draw her, that doesn't feel so, so bad. Um, so Turgrid, and then the Mnemonic Betrayal, which is a card that, Holy Jesus, if people haven't seen this card, this thing is, is terrifying um, because it allows you to cast all sorts of things out of your opponent's graveyards and do bananas things. So um, those are the typical ways the deck wins. Um, but uh, I have literally just won by beating my opponents to death with three threes and two twos. And, you know, like Taller and Sky Summoner Drakes if you have three or four of them, they win the game. So sometimes that's all it takes. All right. Pete, is there anything else? Last any last thoughts on graveyard decks, on your Rutstein deck that we that we haven't touched on yet that you want to bring up for the audience before we move on to, to ending tonight's show? I mean, I love this strategy. I'm a sucker for it. I like eating too much candy on Halloween. You know, I I just love this. <laughs> Yeah, I just, I just, I don't know. I just, there's something about using that zone that I love about this game. Um, Rutstein is fun, don't get me wrong, and I can build budget, so I could definitely send you a list, Bruce, in the future that is budget friendly, because this list is not. This list has a lot of very scary lands in it, so. Uh, so I'm going to be honest there, Pete. I think it's fine for audience to see what a souped up deck looks like and see that yours <laughs> at the higher end of the, of the price point. My Drown New deck is if so, is about $200. So if somebody's looking to play a budget deck, they can go and check out the budget Drown New list in the show notes. Or they can go see Pete's uh, Rutstein list, which is a little more on the higher end of things as, as an alternative. You can get a pretty good sense for what we're doing, what sort of game plan we're looking to deploy. And the nice thing on Moxfield, you can go and play test the lists. So if you want to get a feel for it yourself, you can go and see that as well. So lots of great things there. Um, I love the strategy too. I mean, I've got multiple graveyard themed decks in my collection. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, I think they're they're terribly they're tremendously fun. Uh, they offer a lot of varied gameplay. Uh, they just unfortunately sometimes get a bad rap because of things like uh, a number of combos that people can then go in right. graveyard related combos that people put in play. But you don't have to do the combos, folks. If you're like no. into playing no combo magic, then you you can don't have to put it. If you like the combos, they're there. They're not hard to find. And they can do some really, really potent things that uh, your opponents are going to say, wait a minute, that's not fun. But anyway, that is that. 
Pete, let's move to close, close the deal here. What do you think? Yeah, so stay tuned. We're going to probably throw in a few more decks in the next few weeks. Just go to different different strategies. We'll probably talk about more of the traditional storm slash, you know, I guess I like to call it like the Dirtle Fest, but we'll, we'll, we'll make it fun for our audience, I think. And then um, yeah. the last one will be, I think, more of like the, the don't bring your deck to work day, sort of like super mean, but also a very potent way to play the game. So that'll be like, for me, it's going to be my Flicker deck. For Bruce, it'll be another deck um, to be named later. But basically, we're going to end this discussion in a few weeks as all good things come to an end. Um, we're going to end it with probably the most ramped up stuff uh, in terms of like thought process. So we're going from like simple sort of thought process of how you can win a game of Magic to, alright, this is the flicker this seven times, you know, yeah, do this so thing what, and whatever. Yeah, I've Draw your entire what- deck or something. I've definitely taken one of the lists that I'm going to share. I think the shit one I'm going to share next week, which is the Colonel the Dirtle Fest one. And I've had opponents go and say, oh my goodness, I'm glad you're playing that deck because I don't think I could think through the lines of play right. in order to make that thing work. So um, with that said there, folks, thanks very much for tuning in this week and uh, for joining us for the show. Uh, always happy to have everybody uh, tune in and listen to us. If you would like to uh, reach out to us on social media, all the connections are there. We've got Instagram, Twitter, or X, whatever, uh, threads, <laughs> uh, all of it. It's all there for you to go find us. Uh, we'd love to interact with you guys, so love it. So please reach out, tell us what you like, what you don't like. Um, we've had uh, a lot of uh, good interaction the last little while. Uh, all our decks and everywhere you can find the show is also in those show notes. So please check them out. Uh, we'd love to have you guys um, stop in each and every week and share your thoughts with us. So thanks very much, everybody. From all of us here at the Epic Experiment Podcast, thanks very much. Have a great have a great week, and have fun wherever you next play Magic. Happy Halloween, everyone who celebrates, and we'll see you next week. Take care. Keep slinging your cardboard, and peace out.